We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How do you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. Work, family, friends, a million pressing social issues, and an expectation to be on 24-7. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit the reset button. That's when you reach for an ice-cold Coors Light, the beer that's made to chill. Listen, there's a lot going on in Green Bay right now, and I feel like we could all use a moment to chill with a Coors Light. See, Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's literally made to chill. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. Perfect for a moment to unwind. Coors Light is what I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in their all-new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado, and as always, celebrate. Twenty minutes a day, three hundred sixty-five days a year. This is the Pack a Day Podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 299 of the Packaday Podcast. We are one away from episode 300. Thank you so much for joining me. Of course, my name is Andy Herman. I am a writer for Cheesehead TV. You can always follow me on Twitter at Scani Sports. Really interesting episode lined up for you today. I know we are just off the heels of an incredible NFL draft. The Packers had two first-round picks. Uh, We are still very excited about Rayshon Gary and Darnell Savage uh, and just the entire draft class as a whole. But one of the things I kind of wanted to take a look at today is just the fact that it's not always these rookies that come in and make that immediate impact on the roster. In fact, a lot of times the biggest improvements and the biggest impacts come from the draft class a season before. We always talk about that second year jump. And that's something that I kind of wanted to hone in on today. And let's just kind of look back a a year ago. We were so excited about this draft class, you know, Jair Alexander, Josh Jackson, Oren Burks, uh, just to name a few. It's probably worth noting that there were only three real players in that class that played over 500 snaps a season ago. And that was Jair Alexander at 760, Josh Jackson 718, and MVS Marquez Valdez Scantling at 691. So really those were the only three players that played over 500 snaps all of last season as rookies. So when we start setting expectations, of course we're going to have high, high hopes for Rayshon Gary and Darnell 
Savage, just to say the least. But uh, it's probably worth tempering expectations a bit. And again, even just going back to last year, I know I myself and I know a lot of fans and a lot of experts out there had really high hopes and expectations for Josh Jackson year one a season ago. And and those hopes never really came to fruition in his first year. And and that's probably something that we should have seen coming just a little bit, right? So Josh Jackson in his, his rookie year was coming off a year at Iowa where he played predominantly off coverage, predominantly zone coverage, and now was put in a position to play a lot of man-to-man. He was on an island a lot. All of a sudden he was playing in slot, which probably wasn't uh, the best thing for Josh Jackson. And so he was in a totally different uh, type of defense used in a totally different way than he had ever been used before. And that foot quickness, that was a little bit of an issue for him. And maybe some of the reason that he dropped into the second round uh, was a little bit of a concern as you kind of watched him on tape a season ago. But it just goes to show this player that I think a lot of us had pegged as a first round talent fell to the second round. Uh, Green Bay snatched him up and there were these immediate expectations that he was going to come in and be a big time player as a corner as a rookie and he flashed in preseason he had that big pick six and uh, again it just never really solidified that way probably to no fault of, of Josh Jackson's but it's always worth tempering those expectations so today again I kind of wanted to take a look at those rookies from a season ago and see all right which which one of these rookies or which handful of these rookies are really set for a year to breakout and maybe more importantly let's just take a look at them one by one and see what Green Bay really needs from these specific second year players because there are a lot of them. If you obviously count the entire draft class a season ago, but then on top of that, you count all the undrafted rookies that they kept on the roster and actually played or saw time on the 53-man active roster a season ago, you end up with a huge chunk of players who are trying to make that second year leap. So it's great that Green Bay has this new, fresh, and exciting draft class. They've got all their new undrafted free agents, but Again, if you're looking for players who really need to make a jump and have that impact this year for Green Bay to be successful... Let's take a look at those rookies from 2018. And next year at this time, it's probably going to be the time where we want to look at the the 2019 draft class and say, what are they expected to bring in 2020? Uh, That was something that, you know, not only Ted Thompson, but, you know, a lot of GMs will preach on is don't always look at that immediate impact from the draft class we just had. And that's why a lot of GMs, when they're doing it at their best, are drafting a a year in advance, a year ahead, because you don't know what they're going to be year one. There have been stories of scouts who have uh, got their rookies that they were super excited about uh, on the field for their very first mini camp, and they're like, oh crap, we screwed this up. This is not the player that we thought that we were going to have. And uh, of course, that's an extreme example, but uh, we know to an extent at least a, a baseline of what we have with these rookies from 2018 who are now making, again, that second year uh, jump into this league. So without further ado, let's take a look at these rookies from 2018. Let's break them down one by one and see what Green Bay has and what these players need to do to make an impact in 2019 and going forward. So of course, let's start with first round pick Jair Alexander. By all accounts, myself included, Jair Alexander had a fantastic rookie season and was really everything that Green Bay expected. 
And I think it's really easy to pencil him in as one of the top defenders on this team. Uh, I had him ranked as one of the top eight players, uh, you know, all of last year. Uh, you kind of look at those top four, in my opinion. It was Rodgers and Bakhtiari and Davante Adams and Kenny Clark. And then there was that next tier, which was Jair Alexander and Mike Daniels and Aaron Jones and Corey Lindsley. Those, to me, were always the top eight from a season ago. And Jair Alexander quickly put his name on that list and kind of never looked back. But I think we are kind of interestingly making this leap and this jump to the conclusion that Jair Alexander is immediately and automatically that number one corner in Green Bay and that that's set in stone and we don't have to worry about that for the foreseeable future. And I think that's probably true. I think he has all of the ability and all of the capability of being a top cornerback in this league, but I think it may be just a little bit premature to take Jair Alexander and just say, he's our number one corner and we're good there. It's done. It's over with. We've got our guy. And the reason I say that is, is for a couple reasons. First of all, while he played really, really well a season ago as a rookie, he was he was a rookie, and sometimes you look at those players similarly to kind of what a lot of us did with Demarius Randall and Quentin Rollins in their rookie season is we kind of look at those players and we don't have as high of expectations for them. We kind of set the bar just a tad lower. And sometimes what happens with that is then they come in their second year and maybe they don't make that next step or they don't take a step forward. Maybe they take a small step backwards and you don't have the same level of forgiveness in their second year. And again, we saw that back with Demarius Randall and Quentin Rollins, who in their second and third year really, really struggled in Green Bay. And it was obviously a big worry. And that's why Green Bay then had to go out and again, get Jair Alexander and get Kevin King and get Josh Jackson and so on and so forth. So uh, I think it, again, it may be just a tad premature. And Jair Alexander played better his rookie year than Quentin Rollins and Demarius Randall ever did. at any point in Green Bay. So don't get me wrong there. I'm not comparing them in that capacity, but I do think there's times where corners and just rookies in general will take a small step back in their in their second year. And if that's the case, if Green Bay just doesn't have that guy who can go out and play like a number one corner, that's immediately a little bit of a concern for this team because they don't have that guy on the roster. Uh, you know, maybe Kevin King can step up and be that guy. Maybe Josh Jackson, who we'll talk about momentarily, but I don't think they have that guy who can be a number one corner except for Jair Alexander. And I think the other thing that's really noteworthy here is Jair Alexander finished his last year in college uh, missing the last few games. Uh, in fact, it was a it was a pretty lengthy abscess, uh, absence that he had uh, as a junior coming out of college. And uh, again, then went to the draft. The Packers selected him. And, and he missed multiple games last year as well and did not finish the season either. So uh, this isn't, a, I don't think, a Kevin King situation where he's just, you know, constantly not healthy. Uh, but he has that smaller frame. Uh, he's not exactly the, the most built guy in the world and he plays aggressively. And I thought one of the things that was a little bit interesting is towards the end of last season, uh, you didn't see him play with the same ferocity that he did earlier in the season. And I think part of that was just uh, some of the injuries, some of the you know dings and bumps that he kind of accumulated throughout the course of his rookie season. Uh, but I also think he you know probably started to realize a little bit that this is a little bit of a different animal. And Green Bay does really, really need him on the 
field. So he has to stay healthy and he's got to not just settle for what he put on tape last year because I also thought that there was a little bit of a step back as the season went on uh, last year. He started out gangbusters. That game against the Rams was just beyond out of this world incredible. Just a phenomenal game by Jair Alexander there. Uh, but then as the season went on, there were a few steps back and I uh, just didn't play with that that same exact level of, again, of ferocity and, and just of uh, overall um, you know, skill that he did earlier in the season. So I'm really interested in taking a look at Jair Alexander, uh, especially because he has the ability to be a Pro Bowl and maybe even all pro corner in this league. So where is that ceiling and where does he end up? If he is a really great number two corner, that's probably okay, but it might even be a little bit of a disappointment. If he's a good number one, awesome. If he's a great number one or all of a sudden he develops into an all pro type of player, then that's a game changer. So him taking that next step, this was a you know a top pick of Green Bay a season ago. This is somebody that has to pay off the investment that they put into him. And uh, I think he, again, has all the ability to do that. He's got all the swagger. He's got the talk. This defense was so much better with him on the field a season ago. I think Mike Patton feels much more comfortable bringing blitzes when he's manned up on the number one corner because he knows he's going to be pretty sticky next to him. And even if they do have a hot route called and, and Jair Alexander's on him and they complete it, you know, he's going to be right there to make the tackle. So uh, it's it's an interesting season for Jair Alexander. I have nothing but the highest of expectations, but it is one that I'm interested in because I, I do think maybe, again, we're just a tad bit premature on just labeling him just this next superstar, number one corner. I would like to see a full season out of Jair Alexander playing at that level before I'm totally ready to label him that. But either way, uh, again, an exciting player that Green Bay should have on this team for the foreseeable future and hopefully for a very long time. That brings us to Josh Jackson, which, of course, we touched base on a little bit earlier already. But Josh Jackson is maybe one of the most intriguing players that's trying to make that second-year jump. Uh, I discussed earlier some of the reasons that maybe he wasn't successful in his rookie season. Again, having to play in the slot for him is probably about the worst-case scenario uh, but he, w- he he played on the outside. He played on the inside. Uh, he missed some tackles that he has got to clean up. That is something that showed and reared its ugly head way too often a season ago uh, for all the people that were saying, well, he needs to move to safety. Well, if he can't tackle in the open field, he certainly cannot play safety. Um, He doesn't have the foot quickness to really stay inside and play that slot corner position. And really, he's ideally suited as a outside corner, uh, probably on the outside, usually playing in zone where he can keep his eyes on the quarterback and really jump those routes. And that's really where he's so incredibly successful and can kind of be that ball hawking corner. But how he responds this offseason, does he work on his foot quickness? Does he work on that man coverage, you know, using his hands more effectively to alter the, the receiver's routes and stick with them just a little bit more? Those are the things that are really going to determine whether or not Josh Jackson can make this jump. And he is somebody that Green Bay absolutely needs to do that. Because again, we, we talked about Jair Alexander. You know, we've got uh, Green Bay has Kevin King as that other corner, but he also has had the inability to stay healthy. And then it's kind of a lot of question marks. You know, Tremont Williams is maybe back at corner. You you would probably have him, you know, being more that veteran presence and not having to play a thousand snaps, you know, maybe play some nickel and dime here and there, but you don't want him playing, uh, you know, a, star, a starring or starting role for this team. So uh, this is uh, Josh Jackson's, you know, 
opportunity to win that big, you know, corner position, even if it's not starting, even if King and Alexander are the starters, they're going to have three on the field, you know, a ton of the time. So this is his opportunity to go earn at minimum that number three corner spot. But, you know, you've got guys behind him like Tony Brown that are going to be, you know, nipping at the bud to try to, uh, you know, do anything in his power to get out on the field. Uh, You know, you got Kadar Hallman, who was a sixth round pick. Uh, and you know after that there's just not a lot there and that's just why it's so incredibly important for Jair and King and Jackson to be those corners to lock down those three top spots because after that there's just a lot of question marks and like I said you, you know you don't really have a ton of concern with Tremont being out on the field and I do think Green Bay has a player in Tony Brown as well but Uh, This is a position that has to be owned by the three guys that they took in the top 50 of the draft in Jair King and Jackson. And uh, again, Josh Jackson has got to make that transition to being more of a man corner. I'm hoping that they don't play him quite as much in the slot as they did a season ago, but maybe of all these guys of the second year players who need to make a jump and really need to make an impact because he has the ability to be a playmaker if he can get his hands on the ball and he can keep his eyes on the quarterback and he trusts his technique. Green Bay needs him to be that playmaker. They're expecting to have a better front seven. They're expecting to have a better pass rush. That's going to make the life of the cornerbacks a lot easier. And hopefully that leads itself to a more successful second year for Josh Jackson, where he can get his hands on the football and be that playmaker. And we see some of those pick sixes like we did in preseason and certainly like we did uh, see that in college from Jackson. Next up is Oren Burks. And Oren Burks, uh, another interesting player in the fact that Green Bay is probably expecting a lot of him just simply based on the depth that they have at the position right now. Blake Martinez and Oren Burks are legitimately the top two linebackers at this time. They then have James Crawford, who is more of a special teams player, Ty Summers, a seventh round draft pick, and maybe Josh Jones, you know, moonlights or maybe even fully transitions to that linebacker position as well. But as a true inside linebacker, not just a special teams guy, I mean, it's Oren Burks, Blake Martinez, Ty Summers. I mean, those are the three true linebackers on this team at the moment. And if all of a sudden Blake Martinez goes down, a lot is going to be expected of Oren Burks. And, you know, it shouldn't be you know, that much of a surprise that, uh, that this is the case. If you remember back at the end of training camp last year, everyone was expecting Oren Burks to have a very big role as the inside linebacker is one of the inside linebackers in this defense. He had the injuries and he played a little bit after that. Things didn't exactly go according to plan. Uh, He got some playing time against New England. They kind of targeted him immediately and he just never really found any sort of rhythm or any sort of playing time. Played a decent amount on special teams, but special teams time is over for Oren Burks. He was a top 100 pick. Uh, they expected him to be somebody who not only could be a impact, you know, player in the running game, but could also be used in coverage. And uh, you know, he kind of was that jack of all trades, master of none coming out of college. Well, it's time to start mastering some trades for Oren Burks. And uh, I think you just have to start off by you know using your instincts, being that uh, you know surefire tackler in the middle of the field. Don't try to do too much. Uh, but him being able to come in and be a a player who can be used in coverage as well. Uh, You know, they don't have that specialized guy again, unless they drop Josh Jones into that position a little bit more, which is certainly 
within the realm of reason. And as I tweeted earlier this week, something that I hope that they definitely do, uh, but they don't have necessarily that player. You know, Joe Thomas was used in that role for so long, just that dime linebacker, Um, you know, and they've used, uh, you know, Morgan Burnett in that type of role as well. Maybe that goes to Josh Jones, but I think the hope going into last year was that Oren Burks was going to be able to develop into that player. And I think that's really the hope again, going into this off season is that he's going to be the, the guy who can uh, be in the middle of the field, fill in for Blake Martinez when needed, and maybe play some nickel and dime snaps and probably some base defense as well. So he, he's got a lot on his plate. He's got a lot to transition to him. And, uh, you know, all of a sudden, again, if, if Martinez is hurt, is he the guy that's going to be calling the plays too? Uh, you know, usually it's that inside linebacker position. You, you never know for sure, but there could be a lot on Oren Burke's plate this year. And, and hopefully Blake Martinez stays healthy, but even even if Blake Martinez is healthy the whole year and even if maybe they go, you know, inside linebacker, just one inside linebacker a ton, this is uh, Blake Martinez's contract year. And if Oren Burks can show that he's up to the task and they don't have to pay Martinez a ton, that would really be ideal. So this is a huge, huge year for Oren Burks to show that he's capable of manning the middle of the defense, uh, being the guy that they can trust playing aggressive up front, being sure in coverage, and uh, just doing everything that they're asking of him because last year that was a struggle in just about all facets. I think the next uh, you know, appropriate group to talk about is the receivers, and I'm kind of going to group them all together, and that's Jamon Moore, Marquez Valdez-Scantling, and Equinemius St. Brown. And once again, now with Randall Cobb gone, you have Geronimo, you've got Devontae, and then it's these three players. And it would be probably pretty surprising at this juncture if those three receivers weren't in some capacity, number three, number four, and number five. And I think ideally they would love a couple of those players even to press Geronimo Allison for some of his playing time as well. And uh, if you remember back when I talked to Taylor Merritts, uh, the Tennessee Titans offensive lineman, and I asked him, what's the hardest position for people to learn in Matt LaFleur's offense? And he was, uh, without hesitation, immediately brought up wide receiver. And you've got these rookie receivers who struggled a little bit to pick up the offense a season ago. And that's why they were kind of all rotated in and kind of all in the doghouse at some point. Uh, Certainly, Jamon Moore never really gained his confidence. Uh, Equinemia St. Brown looked like he was going to be maybe that slot option, especially when Randall Cobb was out. And then he kind of got put in the doghouse a little bit. Same thing with MVS. He played the most snaps at 691, but even towards the end of last year, he wasn't getting a ton of time either. So uh, now they have a brand new offense to pick up. And uh, we've seen some of the little, uh, you know, athletic videos that Jamon Moore has been posting this offseason. And I think there's a lot of hope there that he's ready to take that jump. The biggest thing for him is confidence. If he can get his confidence, his release off the line of scrimmage is fantastic. He has all the athletic tools. He's big enough. He's strong enough. Uh, He's not, you know, he he wasn't compared to Devontae Adams coming out for no reason. And uh, I think the hope is that, uh, you know, he had kind of the Devontae Adams sophomore season as a rookie, and now he's ready to bounce back. But the biggest thing for him is confidence and and really being able to go up and, and, you know, attack the ball at the point of attack. Because last year, even when he was open, the ball was kind of bouncing off of his hands a little bit. So he's got to be better there. uh, And I think the hope is that he will be. Uh, You know, Green Bay spent a fourth round pick on him and really kind of kept him on the the roster all last year, almost as a redshirt season. 
Uh, so he he needs to bounce back. And I still think of all three receivers, as ridiculous as this may sound, because MVS and EQ are so ridiculously talented, I still think Jamon Moore might have the highest ceiling of all three of those players. Just his release and his speed and his size, uh, just all of it together is very reminiscent of a player like Devontae Adams. But the difference is Devontae Adams never lacked for that confidence, and he's always one that's been able to go up and attack the ball at its highest point and at its catch point and just you know consistently come down with the ball. So uh, I'm, I'm hopeful for Jamon Moore, but this is a huge offseason for him. Meanwhile, MVS and EQ, man, how nice would it be if MVS could be that speed guy on the outside and really open things up for the rest of the offense and Aaron Jones and Jimmy Graham, Devontae Adams, Equinemia St. Brown, and so on and so forth. And the same thing goes for EQ as that big slot receiver. We've we've seen flashes of Equinemia St. Brown being able to be that guy, cut on a dime, get in the open field, make people miss. He had the great back shoulder against San Francisco. Again, you talk about players with just absolute tools and MVS and EQ are both those type of players. And uh, I said, you know, I'd be shocked if one of these three receivers doesn't break out big, but they need one of these receivers to break out big. I still think Green Bay's in a position where if Devontae Adams goes down, man, this offense really is in a tough spot because they don't have that guy who can consistently separate and get open. Um, And Aaron Rodgers, you know, definitely needs that type of player who he can rely on and and be that guy. He had it with Jordy. He's now got it with Devontae. Um, And when that guy hasn't been there, you know, it's kind of been a little bit of a struggle. And, and, you know, hopefully, you know, the the goal is for Matt LaFleur to be able to open up some of these, uh, you know, receivers using different concepts and using motion in these bunch formations. It's not quite that easy. These, these players have to go out and execute as well. And the hope is that one of these three players, if not two or three of them are able to, again, make that big second year leap, make an impact in 2019 because Green Bay is going to need it. They're, they're absolutely going to need it. These are, you know, at some point there's going to be injuries within this receiving core. And even if there's not, I mean, these are your third, fourth and fifth receivers at worst. Uh, you know, with Devante the one and, uh, you know, Geronimo the two, these guys are going to be expected to carry a huge chunk of the load. You know, they're going to play a lot of three and four receivers. So uh, these guys need to step up. I have a lot of faith in all three of them. I think all three of them have the ability to be very talented and successful in this league. Uh, but this year will go a long, long way in determining just how successful that they can be. Next up is another super interesting one, and that's Cole Madison. And Cole Madison was a player I really, really liked coming out. Uh, played right tackle at Washington State. Uh, he, by all means, is probably going to kick to guard at the NFL level. They announced him as a guard when they drafted him, and uh, is certainly a player that's been lining up at guard and uh, since he's been back. But it's so great to have him back in the fold. Uh, you know, I, I, I don't want to put too much expectations on this guy. You know, he, he was a fifth round pick, which even at, at best is never a lock to make the team. And he's a fifth round pick who's now sat out for an entire season. So to say that he's just going to come in and start competing for a spot on, you know, in, in the starting lineup or to be a consistent player is probably too much to put on him at this point. But I do think he has the opportunity to be at minimum a very great depth piece who probably could play left guard or right guard and maybe even right tackle in a pinch. I love his pass sets. I mean, all they did at Washington State was basically pass set. Uh, he, uh, when I was at minicamp, one of the first minicamps where he was actually there a season ago, uh, he certainly looked the part. I was sitting right there in the stands right in front of where they were practicing, and he looked the part of an NFL right guard. 
Um, I mean, he kind of has that Josh Sitton type demeanor to him, but, uh, you know, he, he has the ability to fit in this league. He's got quick feet. Um, I think he's going to succeed as a pass blocker, which is going to be so important when you're, you know, protecting Aaron Rodgers, obviously, but I think he's got a little nasty to his game as well. And I think he's going to be able to be used as a, uh, you know, an all around offensive lineman. Um, you will see what, you know, Green Bay has in store for him. We'll see if he's just a guy who might be a rotational player who's maybe a fringe 53 man roster guy, or if he can actually make some noise and, and compete at that right guard position for some, you know, some playing time, maybe even as a starter. So time will tell, uh, but I'm so excited that he's back in the fold. And most importantly, just for Cole Madison, I hope he's in an awesome spot, uh, you know, mentally. And, and, and that's the most important thing. And um, I'm, I'm just hoping that he's enjoying being back around football. And uh, I know, again, as, as fans, it's awesome to have him back and hopefully he's ready to come in and compete and play at a high level. Next couple guys probably worth discussing, J.K. Scott and Hunter Bradley, punter and long snapper. Uh, I think both of these guys have the ability to be high-level players at their position. Uh, You know, Hunter Bradley was never somebody that was super impressive uh, during preseason last year, and it does make me wonder just how how much of Mason Crosby's struggles were due to, you know, having a new long snapper and a new holder in J.K. Scott. But uh, I'm, you know, I'm not going to break down a ton of long snapping, uh, you know, tape and, and uh, you know, go over what he needs to be, you know, do to be successful uh, this coming year. He needs to snap the ball accurately to the, you know, to the punter, uh, both as, as a punter and as the holder for the kicker. So he, he needs to do that as a high level. The biggest thing is uh, Green Bay cannot be having uh, these, you know, change of possession plays where Mason Crosby's missing field goals because of a bad snap or a bad hold or things like that. That entire unit has to be much better than they were a season ago. That starts with Bradley up front. Uh, J.K. Scott is both a punter and as a holder, and then of course Mason Crosby as a kicker. But um, hopefully these guys are even more confident. Uh, You know, J.K. Scott showed flashes of being a a top punter in this league, but man, super inconsistent as the season went along. And uh, that's certainly something that we are all too familiar with in Green Bay is, is inconsistent punting. And I know Lambeau Field plays a part in that, but uh, he has got to find a way to be consistent. He's, he's got a very consistent leg motion. I understand that with, with how he punts it, if it's just a little off, it's going to be a shank. And, you know, one or two of those a year is, is totally understandable, but uh, he's got to really make up for that by being consistent the rest of the year. And that wasn't the case a season ago. So uh, here's hoping that he can kind of find that consistency because he has the leg power. He has the ability to be a top hunter in this league. The hang time is ridiculous. Uh, he's just got to be, uh, again, be able to do that consistently time after time without having to worry, is this going to be another crappy punt where the other team's going to get great field position? Because as I kind of touched base on last week, I think this is going to be a season where it's going to be the little things that that matter and, and whether or not they go, you know, eight and eight, nine and seven, 10 and six, or maybe a, a game or two outside of that one way or the other, but it's going to be those little things. And a big piece of that is special teams and Hunter Bradley and JK Scott are two thirds of that unit. And I don't really see either of them going anywhere. So they also need to have a little bit of a bounce back season from last year. The last two rookies, uh, you know, James Looney and Kendall Donerson, uh, both are super high upside individuals who, uh, you know, I don't think uh, have yet shown that you know, they are ready to stick in this league. This is going to be a big off season for both of them to see if they were able to transition some of what they learned from a season ago. They're both basically big balls of clay that, uh, you know, they're going to have new coaches that are going to be able to hopefully mentor them and get the most out of them. But, you know, Kendall Donerson's got to start by being just an absolute beast on special teams. And then, you know, hopefully uh, for his sake, you know, eventually getting into a game, maybe due to an injury and then making a name for himself from there. 
Uh, he's got ridiculous, ridiculous athleticism, as does James Looney. But uh, with Looney especially, he's now well, well buried on the depth chart after you know drafting you know Kingsley Kiki um, and uh, just all the guys coming back from a season ago. You add in a Rashawn Gary who can uh, you know work inside and uh, Zadarius Smith who can work inside, and he's he's well below on the depth chart. And, and certainly Tyler Lancaster passed him last season as well. So he has work to do even just to to get his name in the conversation for the fifty three man roster, but the talent is there. He has the ability to be a penetrating defensive tackle. Love his first step, but uh, after that, he didn't show a ton on tape at, uh, you know, at Cal and, uh, you know, didn't get the opportunity to do much a season ago, but I'm interested to see his development. He's, he's got a lot of unique traits that, that are certainly worth developing and I wouldn't count him out just yet, but, uh, he's definitely buried on the depth chart at this point. You know, again, Donerson start off by making her name on special teams, as I mentioned. And, uh, you know, he's, he's not super buried, you know, you've got your top three in the Smiths and Gary, and then Fackrell as your four, you, you're, they're probably keeping five and he's probably in competition with, you know, Reggie Gilbert. Burton and some of the undrafted guys for that next spot. But, uh, you know, he has the ability to make his name for himself on special teams. And if he can do that, I, I think he has a chance of sticking around. If not, it could be one more season on the practice squad. Lastly, that brings us to the undrafted free agents who, you know, made the team last year in some capacity and are looking to, you know, really bolster their stock this season and, and try to make it another year. And that's Tim Boyle, Tony Brown, James Crawford, Raven Green, Tyler Lancaster, and Alex Light. And, and some players I certainly really, really like in this group. And, uh, you know, of course, I'm going to talk about Tim Boyle a little bit, but he's going to have a big competition with Deshaun Kaiser. Um, I think it, it says a lot, a lot, a lot for both he and Alex Light that they that the Packers last year in really what was kind of a make or break season for Mike McCarthy and his staff, and they, they knew they needed to make a run, that they thought enough of Alex Light and Tim Boyle to basically redshirt both of them and say, we're going to just play with 51 guys in this season. That's so important to us that we're trying to make a run. We're going to play with 51 guys because Tim Boyle and Alex Light are, are that important for us that we don't want to lose them to another roster. And uh, there was an article earlier this year that said they, uh, and I forget who wrote it. I apologize, but um, it was in the you know Press Gazette and Journal Sentinel where they said, I want to say it was Silverstein, but don't quote me on it, uh, that Tim Boyle was uh, maybe the leader in the clubhouse to actually gain that backup quarterback spot. Um, and I've seen a lot of people say that if he doesn't, if he can't win that backup spot, that uh, it may be time to cut ties with him. And, and th- there's an argument to be made there. If, if he's not ready to make that jump and, and win that, that backup spot, uh, then maybe that's the case. And, uh, you know, he's uh, he's got a long way to go to prove himself in this league. As you guys know, I'm, I'm a huge, uh, you know, Tim Boyle fan and supporter. I think he, he showed a lot last year as a rookie, but he's got to continue to make those steps. And I think he'd probably be the first one to tell you that as well. Uh, but uh, we had the interview. I had the interview with him earlier this year, and he said all the right things. And I'm excited to see what, what year two is going to bring for him because his arm is incredible. You know, he's fearless. Uh, he's got to be a little bit more careful with the ball. But he, that was one of the things he brought up in the interview. He knows that as well. So I'm excited to see what he brings in year two. Tony Brown, another guy. You know, just loved what I saw on tape. Again, consistency is going to be the key there, but, you know, he's aggressive. Uh, he will get up there in receivers' faces. Uh, he's fast, you know, 4 3 40 guy. Uh, should be a, a menace on special teams. Um, I'm just really excited to see what he can bring to the table. And I, I think he's in a really great spot to earn that number four corner position, dependent upon, I guess, what you want to call Tremont Williams. Um, you know, if Tremont Williams is a corner, then that bumps probably Brown back one spot. But uh, you talk about after King and Alexander and Jackson and 
Tremont. To me, Tony Brown is easily the next corner on that group. And I think that Tony has the ability to compete with Josh Jackson. If Josh Jackson doesn't take that step that we talked about earlier, and all of a sudden Tony Brown does, I think he's in that conversation to to jump ahead of him because I thought on tape last last year uh, the two were pretty close, you know, in in how they played. So it wouldn't shock me if Tony Brown was able to take that next step and and maybe even and beat out a Josh Jackson. So uh, that's another player to really keep an eye on, and uh, I, I'm excited about his prospects. He's got a lot of tools. Uh, I, I'm not as concerned about that hot-headed thing as other people are. He had, you know, two penalties. One of which uh, I didn't think was a penalty at all. The other of which, yeah, was probably a penalty. But eh, let him play. So uh, we'll see. We'll see what Tony Brown brings to the table this year. And if he does continue to, you know, be a little bit of an enigma, he's no lock to make the roster. Uh, but if he takes that next step, again, I think he's in the competition to be in the top three, four, five corners on this team. So uh, let's see what Tony Brown can bring to the table. I still think James Crawford is probably primarily a special teams guy. Uh, I didn't think he, you know, I think he only got a handful of snaps actually on defense, but um, unless he shows otherwise, I'm still kind of viewing him as that special teams player. I didn't think he showed a ton out of college or in preseason as a true linebacker, uh, but I do think he has the ability to be just one of the top players on special teams and he's going to have to be, but he's, like I said earlier with Oren Burks, he's in a great position just that there's not a lot of linebackers uh, on the inside linebacker position on this team right now. And He's in a great spot to to make this team as that special teams guru. Raven Green, uh, when I talked to Tim Boyle, and I've brought this up multiple times, he immediately said Raven Green's the, the player to keep an eye out for this coming offseason, th- thinks he has the ability to be a player. There's not a lot of depth at that safety position, especially if they move Tremont back to corner. So uh, I loved a lot of what I saw uh, out of Raven Green at college. He had great ball skills. I, I actually noticed him multiple times in OTAs. He had actually a pick of Tim Boyle um, in, in OTAs a season ago, which was a really impressive play in the end zone. And then uh, again, he made, made some impact plays when he had the opportunity before he got hurt this past year. So I have hopes for Raven Green making a little bit of a jump. Tyler Lancaster, I think, has already earned his name as that run stuffer in the middle of the defensive line. He probably still has a ways to go, again, especially with them drafting Kingsley Kiki. Uh, and Montrevious Adams is still there. You've got Lowry, you've got Clark, you've got Daniels. As I mentioned, you've got Gary, and you've got Zedarius who can rotate inside. There's a lot of players on the interior of that defensive line. So I think he's got a little ways to go just to you know earn that, that full roster spot. And guys who are just run defenders... Um, you know, are, are sometimes easily expendable, but I think he's earned his name as that that big time run stuffing defensive tackle in the interior of the defense. I think he's carved out a niche for himself, and I thought he brought a little bit more to the table even than that as well. So I'm excited about Tyler Lancaster. I think he's he's got a great opportunity to make this roster as a second year player, and uh, hopefully he can continue to grow his game because he grew exponentially from his last year at Northwestern to what he brought to the table by the end of last season. It was uh, he was a player that I didn't think had any chance uh, of making the team based off the off of the tape that I saw coming out of college. And not only did he make the team uh, eventually, he he played at a pretty high level. So excited about Lancaster and then. And lastly, Alex Light, who I touched base on a little bit already. I love Alex Light's footwork. If he put on the functional strength this offseason that he needed to, I, I think he can have a similar career to Lane Taylor, uh, you know, who started as that undrafted free agent, got an opportunity to start and kind of never looked back and probably never anyone that's going to be great. Uh, but if he can have uh, a Lane Taylor-esque career, that would be a hell of a get as an undrafted free agent for for Alex Light. And I think he he more than is capable of making that, that type of jump and, and playing at that type of level. 
level. Um, and when he got in last year, he, he actually did get in. Uh, when he got in, he looked great. It was tough to tell because when he was in, they I think they threw the ball either every play or almost every play when he was in. So we got to see some of his pass blocking and it looked good, but that was kind of all, always his strength. And the question was going to be, what, was he going to be able to hold up as a as a run blocker? And we didn't get to see that. So uh, he'll have to answer that question this year. I'm hopeful that he can. Uh, but yeah, I, again, I'm excited about Light and, and really that whole undrafted free agent class. I think there's a lot of really interesting players there. So Jair Alexander, Josh Jackson, Oren Burks, Jamon Moore, Marquez Valdez-Scantling, Equinemius St. Brown, Cole Madison, J.K. Scott, James Looney, Hunter Bradley, Kendall Donerson, Tim Boyle, Tony Brown, James Crawford, Raven Green, Tyler Lancaster, Alex Light. That is a huge chunk of players that have the potential of making up this roster in 2019. I mean, I would be shocked if at least 10 of those guys uh, didn't make the team this year. So you're talking almost one-fifth, if not more, of this team that will be comprised of those second-year players. The type of leap and the type of jump that they make from 2018 to 2019 will go a long, long way in determining just how successful the Packers can be this year. That does it for me. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Uh, again, recapping some of those second-year players uh, who are hopefully making a huge jump and making a huge impact this coming season. Uh, join us tomorrow as Ross Uglum and Jake Morley have episode 300 lined up for you. I cannot believe it is episode 300 already. Thank you so much to all of you who continue to listen to us every day and give us uh, give us likes and comments and uh, subscribe to us wherever you get your favorite podcasts. It means so incredibly much to us. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Really, really appreciate that. Thanks for listening to me today. Always appreciate it. But until next time, and as always, go Pack Go. One kick away from the NFC Championship game from the 41. Left pass mark, 51 yard. Field goal attempt, snap, placement, kick to the upright. And it is.